Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you're not into shopping and over-entertaining family, here's an alternative. The lead starts right now. Drama on the high seas. A man vanishes from a cruise ship and ends up rescued alive. How did he go from drinks with his sister to being in the water alone? And a Senate race on the line in Georgia. The reported push this go-round for in-person voting instead of mail-in ballots. Plus, just when we thought maybe online shopping could ease some of the crowds, Black Friday shoppers come out in droves. The surge in sales despite inflation and recession fears. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Casey Hunt in today for Jake Tapper. We start with new details about the horrific attack at a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia. Local officials have released a note found on the shooter's phone. It was titled Death Note and was filled with grievances he had with himself and colleagues. The city of Chesapeake also identified the youngest victim of the massacre, 16-year-old Fernando Chavez Barone. In the wake of this tragedy and the mass shooting at the LGBTQ nightclub in Colorado, President Biden says he'll push Congress to pass new gun laws, including a ban on some semi-automatic rifles. CNN's Brian Todd starts off our coverage with a closer look at the investigation in Chesapeake, Virginia. He just had the gun up to my forehead and, and, this is really hard. Tonight, chilling new details released by police reveal that the man who killed six Walmart employees bought his weapon that very day. City officials say the shooter had no criminal history and that he legally bought the gun he used, a 9mm handgun. Officials releasing screenshots of writings found on the gunman's phone. The title, Death Note. He describes the grievances he had, writing his associates were laughing and mocking him, saying they, quote, gave me evil twisted grins, mocked me and celebrated my downfall the last day. That's why they suffer the same fate as me. In another part, he writes, quote, I wish I could have saved everyone from myself. My God, forgive me for what I'm going to do. While the gunman spoke of specific people in the note, police say none of them were his victims and the names were redacted for privacy. CNN reached out to Walmart to inquire if the shooter had any complaints against him or had ever been disciplined or demoted. In response, Walmart said, quote, there is nothing that can justify taking innocent lives. One survivor, a fellow employee, told us earlier this week that she had been warned about the gunman. I am new, but I'd heard from the very beginning that he was the one to watch out for. The city also released the identity of the youngest victim, now identified as 16-year-old Fernando Chavez Barón. Friends say the teen had just started working at the Walmart and used his first paycheck to buy gifts for his mother. I was hoping everything was a dream until the day he was here standing with me. With two people still in the hospital, dozens gathered Thursday to pray for the victims. As the community struggles to move forward, this survivor can't stop reliving the terror. The sound of the droplets, the, 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 it, it, it 
replace and replace and replace and replace and replace of, 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 of how much blood was coming off the different chairs. It was making a rhythm and it was one of the most disturbing things. I will, I think we'll never let go of that. The mayor of Chesapeake, Rick West, has announced that a vigil for the victims will be held at City Park in Chesapeake on Monday evening. At this time, Walmart still not answering CNN's questions about whether any disciplinary measures had ever been taken against the shooter or if any complaints had ever been made by other employees about him. Casey? Brian Todd, thanks very much for that report. Let's turn now to those comments by President Biden and his renewed push for more gun laws, including a ban on some semi-automatic rifles. CNN's Arlette Science is in Nantucket, Massachusetts, where the president and his family are spending the Thanksgiving holiday. Arlette, what else are we hearing from President Biden? Well, Casey, President Biden has renewed his call for an assault weapons ban, but he's running up against the harsh political reality that the votes just simply do not exist in Congress to get such a measure across the finish line. But still, you've seen President Biden in the wake of mass shootings in this country call for this ban on assault weapons. And yesterday, he shared his frustration uh, with the sales of semi some semi-automatic weapons in this country. Take a listen. The idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick. It's just sick. It has no, no social redeeming value. Zero. None. Not a single solitary rationale for it except profit for the gun manufacturer. Now, the president went on to talk about his desire to try to pass an assault weapons ban. He said that he would have to assess whether the votes are there, but they have attempted in the past to try to get these measures uh, in place and passed, and the votes haven't existed, and it will get even more complicated once divided government begins starting in January. Now, yesterday, while President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden were here celebrating Thanksgiving in Nantucket, they also placed a phone call to the owner of Club Q, that LGBTQ nightclub. Uh, that saw that mass shooting just last weekend. And the president is wrapping up his uh, Nantucket Thanksgiving weekend here. He's taking a stroll through town, about to go to the Christmas tree lighting here. Arlette Sines, thanks very much for that report today. And joining me now to discuss is Democratic Congressman John Garamendi of California. Congressman, uh, thanks so much for being with us. Sure, Casey. Good to be with you. And you just heard President Biden renew his call for Congress to pass a ban on some semi-automatic weapons, but you and I both know that the reality is that the votes aren't there. So why should the American people believe that this time it could be different? Well, Casey, what we have to do is to continue to put the votes up in committee and on the floor, basically challenging all 435 members of Congress and 100 senators. Are you going to continue to step aside and allow this horrible incidents day after day to continue? Or are you willing to put your own career on the line and save Americans with sensible gun legislation? The president is absolutely correct. No assault weapons. Good heavens, back in 1989, I was a state senator in California, the very first school shooting with an assault weapon. That led to a ban in California and ultimately to a 10-year national ban. It can be done. But it seems as though the Congress, members of Congress and the Senate have an unlimited appetite for violence. We have to stop that. We simply have to be held accountable. We have to have 
decent legislation, assault weapons. And by the way, to be able to go out and buy a semi-automatic pistol the very same day that you intend to shoot somebody is absolutely crazy. You have to wait a month to buy a couch. You have to wait three or four months to buy an electric vehicle. You ought to be able to have a law in place, which we do in California, that you cannot go into a store and walk out with a pistol. You're going to have to wait a few days for the background checks as well as for time to cool off. So the reality is, of course, that the House is going to be controlled by Republicans come January. There were 14 House Republicans who voted with Democrats to pass right. some bipartisan gun legislation earlier this summer, but just right. five of them are going to be coming back to the next Congress. Have you reached out to them or any other Republicans to see if there's a deal that they would be willing to make with you? Well, we do have a uh, caucus uh, in the House, both Democrats and Republicans. Mike Thompson, my colleague from California, is the, the leader of that. And we constantly do that. But my point is that those of us that want to have sane, rational gun safety laws need to continue to introduce those pieces of legislation. We need to try to get the committees to hear them. And we try to get the bills on the floor for a vote. And there are ways of doing that. In other words, all of us have to be held accountable in this legislative uh, this Congress, as well as in the next one, which begins in January. Put the bills up there. Force us to vote. Yes or no. Are we for rational safety? Are we going to continue to stand for this slaughter all across this nation? Are we willing to put our own careers on the line, challenge the NRA, challenge the gun uh, lobbyist, and have a go at it? It can be done. Eventually, things will break free, as they did with the bill that did become law that the president did sign. It took 10 years to get there. Are House but Democrats going to do that in the next couple months? Yes, we will. We will continue to do so. You will see an assault weapons ban is already on the floor. Uh, it's already in a committee. It was on the floor. Uh, it hasn't had a vote yet. In the next Congress, you can be certain that Democrats and Republicans, some, will push forward with rational gun safety laws. Um, okay. I mean, it, it doesn't seem likely with a Republican Speaker of the House, but I, I, I do take your point. Before I let you go, I, wanna, I do want to ask you about something that happened to you personally. Yeah. Earlier this week, prosecutors unsealed yeah. charges against a Michigan man for sending you and the FBI director, Christopher Wray, death threats. Right. And you have said you told us, CNN, that you and your fellow lawmakers don't have the security that you need. I mean, who is to blame for that lapse, that failure? Well, we do have security. Uh, if there's a direct threat, then yes, we do have security. That security is available to us, uh, and we do take advantage of it uh, while that threat is active. In this case, hopefully this fellow is, is arrested, and hopefully he and any others that want to threaten public officials, whether members of Congress, Congress or senator, or even uh, election officials uh, who are volunteering. If there is a death threat, that's a crime. And they ought to be prosecuted and they ought to be spending time in jail. But yes, we do have security when there's a specific threat, uh, as there was in this case. However, um, there is as long as this violent hate rhetoric is out there, uh, there are going to continue to be threats because there are too many people that will listen to that, will listen to the conspiracy theories and, and all the QAnon talk, and they will come to believe that it is their place on this earth to take action.
And so we need to be aware of hate speech and we need to tone it down. Uh, what's going to happen on Twitter is frankly very, very frightening. If Elon Musk gets his way and that thing becomes another site, a very popular site for violence, uh, for all kinds of conspiracy theories and the like, it's going to be a much more, uh, our nation will be much less safe. And by the way, it just seems to me there ought to be a law that these websites, Twitter and Facebook and all the other, they are free from any accountability at all. The current law simply allows anything to be up on their website and they have no responsibility whatsoever. There ought to be a law. There ought to be a law that says, okay, it's free right. speech, but by God, you're responsible for what you're putting on your website and you can be sued if yeah. you allow that to be there. Yeah, no, you're talking about Section 230, something Congress is focused on, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it exactly. in the months ahead. Democratic Congressman John Garamendi, thanks very much for your time, Good. sir. Thank you, Casey. Coming up next, two vacation mysteries. In Mexico, the new arrest warrant after a North Carolina woman on a trip with college friends ended up dead. Plus, the cruise ship rescue after a man vanishes and ends up in the water for 15 hours. How in the world did he survive all that time? Plus, the rivalry playing out today goes back to the earliest days of America. We're back now with our world lead and new clues in a deadly mystery. How and why did a North Carolina woman die while on vacation in Mexico? Prosecutors there now say Shankella Robinson's death was the result of, quote, a direct attack. CNN's Ryan Young is following new details in the case. Ryan, Mexican prosecutors say they know whom they're looking for? Yeah, there's so many questions in this. They know who they're looking for. That name hasn't been released just yet. But you think about this. Six friends traveling to Mexico with this young lady to have a good time. And on the first day this attack happened, you heard that language that they used. This was a direct attack. I can tell you there's a video out there on social media that shows this attack happening for several seconds and no one intervening. This woman was traveling with people she considered her college friends. So the big question is, what happened? Why no one stepped in? And why was the video posted to social media? Uh, one of the other questions that we have right now is why no one else is facing charges. We know the FBI is involved. It's all happening back in October 28th. Social media has been keeping this story alive. But as you can imagine, the mother who's involved in this case is so very upset that not only were the friends maybe told her a different story, but it's taken this long. Take a listen. On Saturday evening, they called and said she wasn't feeling well, and they was going to call a doctor. And, but when they called, the doctor hadn't arrived yet, but they said she had alcohol poison. We received the um, autopsy uh, report on Thursday, and it said that her neck had been broke. So you understand how, uh, how crazy this was in terms of, well, I've seen the video. We can't air it just yet, but she's being hit over and over. Her dad actually has confirmed to us that's her in the video. So we're still working to see exactly what happened and when Mexican authorities can make this arrest. Still trying to figure all the pieces out of this one. Casey. So awful. Ryan Young, thanks very much for that report. Let's turn now to what the Coast Guard is calling a Thanksgiving miracle. A 28-year-old man is recovering after rescuers say he fell overboard a Carnival cruise ship and spent up to 15 hours in the water before search teams found and saved him. As CNN's Nick Valencia reports, one search and rescue coordinator said it's unlike anything he's ever been a part of. I think it kind of blows the normalcy out of the water here. 
A miraculous Thanksgiving rescue at sea after a Carnival cruise ship passenger went overboard. The cruise company said the 28-year-old man was reported missing Thursday around noon. He had last been seen around 11 p.m. Wednesday by his sister leaving a bar on board the ship, which had left New Orleans bound for Cozumel, Mexico. At any point from 11 p.m. on Wednesday on, uh, he could have uh, entered the, the waterway. So he, he realistically could have been in the water for 15 plus hours before we were able to successfully rescue him. Since so much time had passed since he was last seen, the rescue operation was particularly challenging. Understanding, you know, we did have a big time delay. The longer that uh, somebody's in the water, the greater the, the search area is going to be. So time was certainly of the essence. Ultimately, the crew aboard a cargo vessel located him about 20 miles south of Southwest Pass, Louisiana, where the Coast Guard was able to helicopter in and hoist the man out of the water to safety. He's in the hospital undergoing medical evaluation and is reportedly in stable condition. He was able to identify his name, confirm that he was the individual that fell overboard. Uh, he was showing signs of hypothermia, shock, dehydration. Carnival Cruise Line expressing their gratitude in a statement reading, we greatly appreciate the efforts of all, most especially the U.S. Coast Guard and the Mariner who spotted the guest in the water. The will to live is, is something that you need to account for in every search and rescue case. This man's will to survive, leaving even those who rescued him in awe. This is, like I said, one of the absolute longest that I've heard about and just one of those Thanksgiving miracles. And earlier we learned that the temperature of the water where he was found was around 70 degrees. So that temperature may have uh, contributed to keeping him alive for as long as he was in the water. There's still so many details that we do not have that we're waiting to hear from the Coast Guard. But this man is going to have one heck of a story uh, from here on out, Casey. He sure is. Nick Valencia, <laughs> thanks very much for that report. All right, next up here, inflation, what? Recession, who? Black Friday, off to a booming start. Today marks the traditional start of the holiday shopping season with shoppers rushing to stores and to their laptops to score deals. That's me. But with high inflation causing sky-high prices across the country, many are wondering how this will impact sales. Allison Kosick joins us live from outside Macy's in New York City. Allison, what do we know so far about today's retail numbers? Casey, deals and discounts are expected to bring out a record number of shoppers. 166 million people are expected to shop between Thanksgiving Day all the way through Cyber Monday. Today is Black Friday, the unofficial start to the holiday shopping season, and today is expected to be big. 115 million people just today are expected to shop with about 67 percent, a little more than half, shopping in store. But would you believe yesterday, yes, was Thanksgiving and people were doing more than just eating their turkey. They were shopping online. Get this, $5.2 billion was spent online. And if you look at the month of November up to the 24th of November, 7.7, let me get this straight, $77 billion has been spent between November 1st and November 24th. I had to look twice at that number. It's incredible. Wow, that is that does seem extremely high. I mean, it, is there any indication That's how just online. how inflation is impacting shoppers? Yeah, you make a really good point there. I mean, inflation is really the elephant in the room for all these shoppers that I've been talking to today. And it, you know, the trick is is to try to shop in a way where inflation is not going to eat into their budgets too much because it is impacting their spending power. A lot of the shoppers I talked with said they are doing their best to stick to their budgets and they're really focusing on deals and discounts and navigating what they're going to buy based on that discount 
trying to save a little money and try to keep the holiday magic alive despite the impact of inflation that we're all feeling uh, every day in our lives. Back to you. I got to be honest, if anything, it's made me more cognizant of when these sales are happening. Alison Kosick, thanks very much yeah. for that report. They're shopping and eating. And in Georgia, voting is now on this holiday weekend to-do list. It comes after election officials are encouraging Georgians to vote early in person in the Senate runoff election due to the tight turnaround time to send in mail-in and absentee ballots. I'd like to bring in CNN political commentators, Bakari Sellers and Charlie Dent. Thank you, gentlemen, both for joining me on this Friday afternoon. And Congressman, let me start with you. For two election cycles in a row, Republicans have really fought early voting and mail-in balloting every chance they get. Former President Trump was particularly on this. There was no red wave this year. I want you to hear what Sean Hannity actually proposed on Fox this week. Watch. Do Republicans and conservatives need to get over the reluctance and resistance to mail-in ballots and early voting that they seem to show? Well, listen, there's no doubt that, that we need to use every tool we can to turn out votes, every tool that is legal. Is it impossible for Republicans now to embrace this idea after some of their leaders have fought so hard against it for these past four years? Well, I think I think Sean Hannity actually asked the right question. Republicans, of course, they must get over this resistance uh, to mail-in voting and early voting. In fact, I've argued for some time that you know, it's not the method of voting that matters. You need to get your voters motivated and energized. They'll figure out how to vote. It's not hard to vote in this country. We know that. So I don't know why they do this. In fact, it's all because of Donald Trump, you know, telling people not to vote by mail. It's a terrible mistake. In fact, it was a form of voter suppression where Trump was actually suppress suppressing the re Republican vote by telling him not to vote that way. So, yes, absolutely. Republicans need to embrace it and do it. Like Republicans have been voting by mail in states like Florida and Utah very effectively for a long time. We know how to do it. We just need to make sure we tell our voters to do it because it is effective. Yeah, I mean, if anything, Republicans were doing it more than Democrats before all this. Bakari, what's your take? Right. Well, you know, Democrats for a very long period of time have taken advantage of early voting. Um, no excuse early voting, which you have in many states and mail-in balloting, as you've seen with the recent changes in Pennsylvania. Congressman Dent probably knows that better than anyone on this panel. But the fact is, when you have a mobilizing tool, take, for example, souls to the polls. Um, you've seen Republican state legislatures, particularly throughout the South, Eliminate that last day where individuals went to church and then went to the polls immediately after church, hence the name souls to the polls. Uh, Democrats have always been trying to open up um, the ballot box to make it free and fair and safe and ensure that everyone has access to it. I mean, I, I hear my friend Charlie on the other side, but you had a, a uh, Republican concerted effort in Georgia to eliminate Saturday voting. Um, or the last Saturday voting in favor of keeping it closed because of Robert E. Lee's holiday. And so when you have that juxtaposition, you really have to question how you're going to get your voters mobilized when you try to stamp out any efforts to, to vote early, vote safely and vote freely. So, Congressman, this Georgia Senate runoff is uh, is not obviously going to determine what party controls the Senate. We know it's going to be the Democrats, but it could help give the Democrats allow President Biden to have more power to shape the courts in his administration because of how the Senate will be set up if they can get 51 votes. How important is this race on each side, Congressman? Well, it's particularly important for the Democrats right now, because if Democrats get 51-49, then they will have total control in the committees. Right now, with a 50-50 Senate, the committees are split evenly. It really slows the gears down. So if they get an extra vote, that will help them getting bills to the floor and so it gives them an, an enormous uh, advantage. Now, it doesn't change the fundamental dynamics in that 
in the Senate, you still need 60 votes on most pieces of legislation. So you'll still need bipartisan compromises. But this gives them just the slightest bit of, of breathing room. And if I were the Democrats right now, I'd probably be feeling pretty good about Georgia, given that uh, Kemp is not on the ballot to help pull Walker along. Walker's got to do it on his own. And we all know he's a, a deficient candidate in many ways. So uh, right now, if your Democrats really want that 51-49. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, which side's able to better uh, motivate their their base to the polls in, in this election, which is really the biggest the biggest test in any runoff. Uh, Bakari, let's turn to what's left on the table here for Congress. We are less than six weeks away from the new Congress being sworn in. And of course, control of the House is going to turn over to Republicans. Democrats are racing to get things across the finish line during the lame duck session. Some of the things include funding the government. Uh, they want to try and raise the debt ceiling. Uh, they got to pass the defense authorization bill. And you know the Senate passed that bill to codify same-sex marriage. The House has got to do that. Is it possible to get all those line items across the finish line in the time they've got left? I think so, and mainly because of the common sense Republicans that know they're about to have insanity kind of rule the day in the in the House caucus. Look, they, nobody envies Kevin McCarthy. He's going to be someone who is one of the most powerful people in the world that nobody wants to be like because his caucus, controlling that caucus, is going to be just an unenviable task. So you're going to have a large group of individuals, a large group of Republicans who come across to help do things like keep government running, raise the debt ceiling, you know, pass some bills that are good for our credit rating, pass some bills that are good for the efficiency of just everyday life, things that are necessary. And so I don't think you're going to have a great deal of problem because of what the fear that is palpable in, in Washington, D.C., of what this Congress, this new Congress coming in January will actually be, which I think we can all label as being nothing more than chaos. Yeah, I mean, I think the debt ceiling is going to be real, a real test, but I do take your point. And I'm glad you mentioned McCarthy because, Congressman, I really wanted to ask you about that. I mean, McCarthy's fighting to secure 218 votes just to become speaker. He can only lose four votes, it seems like. Uh, but right now, five have said that they are going to vote no. You can see them there uh, on your screen. Um, how tough is this for McCarthy? Well, I think it's been brutally tough for Kevin McCarthy to get to 218. I'm not saying he can't get there, but he doesn't appear to be there today. And if he cannot get there to 218, case you you were there in 2015 after Boehner stepped aside and Paul Ryan hadn't yet ascended. I was there and I was approached by various Democrats at times to, to secure a certain number of Republican votes, Democrats, the rest to make me speaker. Uh, never got off the ground because Paul Ryan went uh, stepped up. But the, I can, Don Bacon made a comment the other day, Congressman Bacon of Nebraska, uh, to the extent that if we can't get 208, if, they, if Republicans can't get 218 Republican votes, for Kevin McCarthy or any other Republican, well, then maybe you have to put together some kind of a coalition. This could happen. I'm not saying it will, but that the threat of that might be enough to get some of those you know, very far right Republicans to come back on board uh, for McCarthy or another Republican to get to 218. Because if they had a coalition type of speaker, you'd have to share the committee assignments. You would share the governing responsibilities. And I suspect those on the right uh, wouldn't particularly like doing that. I can't imagine that they would. This, this may be uh, as much of a political reporter's pipe dream as a brokered convention. But just a reminder, anyone, you don't have to be a member of the House to be Speaker of the House. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> but Kari Sellers, Charlie Dent. Hey, Casey. Yes, briefly. Hey, Casey Hunt, Speaker. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I do not want that job. <laughs> thank you both very much uh, for being with us on this Friday after Thanksgiving. I really appreciate it. Today's marquee match at the World Cup between the United States and England just finished up. So who came out on top? It's a complicated answer, but we're there live coming up next.
A stressful afternoon for U.S. soccer fans. The U.S. men's national team just wrapped up its second match of the World Cup minutes ago. The lead is covered around the globe on this one. CNN's Don Riddell was at the match in Doha, Qatar. Uh, Don, plenty of drama. What happened? Yeah, plenty of yeah, well, it was a goalless draw. Um, so after all the hype and all the excitement, to be honest, the game was a little bit of a letdown. But I think both teams will be kind of OK with the result because they can both still qualify for the next stage. Let's show you what happened. Uh, you know, it's really, really interesting. The progress that the American players have made means that a lot of them now star in the Premier League and they know a lot of the guys they were playing up against. So I would say that the US team, if you look at the highlights, actually had the better of the first half, or at least they had the better chance. Chances. Uh, Weston McKenney is well known as a big Harry Potter fan. He had a chance, nothing too magical about the way he handled it. But Christian Pulisic, the big US star, he was the man of the match today. He hit the crossbar. He had the best chance. Uh, England, though, had their chances as well. Uh, Mason Mount drawing a good save from Matt Turner. And then right towards the end, the England striker Harry Kane uh, hit it just wide off a free kick. So that's how it finished. Goalless. Both teams have one more game to play. England, all they have to do is not lose too heavily to Wales in their final game. They've probably already done just about enough. The USA are up against Iran. If the Americans win that game, they're through, lose, they go home. Oh, tough. All right, Andy Scholes, you're at a watch party in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I got to say, a lot, I've gotten a lot of disappointment from my friends who watched this. How did fans there react to the game? Well, I tell you what, that wasn't the reaction we really saw here, you know. <laughs> Us Americans, we're not used to ties in, in the sporting world. We usually have some sort of result. But I would say, you know, that was one of the more exhilarating ties I've ever witnessed in person. I, the, the atmosphere here at Fado Irish Pub in Atlanta, it was, it was wild. I mean, this place holds about 600 people. It was a capacity really early on. People waited since 9 a.m. to be here. There was a line around the building in order to be in here. Uh, and the fans I talked to before the match, they were pointing... Uh, to, the, to the Revolutionary War in 1776, to the, the upset back in 1950, to why they were going to do well today. And then, hey, guess what? Uh, they, they played really well. And uh, as you see some fans filing out right now. But then I talked to them on the way out, Casey, too. They were very happy with the way they played. A lot of them told me, oh, my goodness, you told me we were going to get a 0-0 tie today. They would have taken that in a second. And many of them think this is a great way to just get momentum building to the game against Iran on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, at least at least the USA is in it this time. Although I don't know about that St. George's Cross that was in that picture this afternoon. You clearly have got some England fans in that bar with you. So, Anna, let me take let me go to London. I don't know if you tracked down any U.S. fans. I cannot imagine there were any in a pub or bar in England where you may have been. What's the mood there? Certainly word. I can tell you some 700 people filed out of here pretty quickly after that match ended. Going into this, there was so much confidence. England were the favourites. They were going to win. I was told it was going to be a 4-0, 3-0 victory. The mood as that game went on just got very quiet, very subdued, and there was just crushing disappointment. There's something of a curse, I'm told, between England and uh, when it plays USA games <laughs> in World Cup, specifically. 2010, there was a draw, and if you go back to 1950, the USA actually won so perhaps it's the England curse. But you know what? I've got huge respect and admiration for my colleagues there, Don and Andy. This sports reporting, very hard. The crushing disappointment, the fact I'm covered in beer, and I still haven't had a pint. <laughs> well, our hats are tipped to you, Andy and Don. Uh, Anna, to you as well. Thank you all for being out there for us. Uh, we really enjoy, enjoyed your reporting today.
All right, up next, brave protesters in Iran show no signs of giving up their fight for freedom. Up next, CNN speaks with a doctor who's risking it all. In our world lead, a United Nations fact-finding mission will look into Iran's violent crackdown on protests. As many as 14,000 protesters have been arrested, at least 2,000 charged, and six sentenced to death over demonstrations following the suspicious death of 22-year-old Masa Amini, also known by her band Kurdish name, Gina Amini. Iranian lawmakers are calling for protesters to be taught a, quote, good lesson to deter those who threaten the authority of the government. CNN's Jamana Karache spoke with one protester determined to keep going. Iranians have been risking it all for freedom. To break free of the shackles of a repressive regime. That's brutality and bullets, only fueling the anger of those on the streets, making them more defiant than ever. I know as long as Islamic Republic is ruling the country, I couldn't do uh, my duty. This doctor we're not identifying for safety reasons was one of hundreds of medical professionals who gathered in Tehran last month for a demonstration organized by their council, and it was violently broken up. Doctors tell CNN at least one person was killed, many injured, including one shot in the eyes and blinded. As soon as I arrived there, uh, the area was full of um, all kinds of forces. Um, Plain clothes forces was too much, and they uh, literally shoot everyone that was uh, walking on the sidewalk of the street. I have bruises, uh, multiple bruises uh, in front of my body and back, and all of them was uh, above my waist. But I saw uh, injuries that by uh, with bottles, and uh, they uh, beat a lot. Electric shock. Just for going out and protesting, you could go to jail or get killed. It's not just that. It literally could be worse. We wish uh, they kill us on the streets rather than they uh, arrest us. Because of all the horrors in detention facilities, all these risks, the threats to you and to your family, that's not stopping you and others. Of course not. They killed more than 1,500 in uh, three days, in less than a week, about two years ago. We know it could happen. And... uh, all of us, we will continue. There is no other way. We came from a long journey and we uh, realized that Islamic Republic cannot change and don't want to change. It is our duty uh, to our next generation that uh, we fight it and uh, hopefully uh, we can change it. Only Iranians can change it, this protester and others say. But they believe the international community can do more than just watch, condemn, and announce symbolic sanctions. They could um, close uh, Islamic Republic ambassadors, uh, United Nations, uh, UNICEF, uh, pay more attention. We need actual action. The most important question is, are they willing to do that or not? Stand on the right side of the history or not? And Casey, for the first time, the international community has taken action. The UN's Human Rights Council voted to establish that fact-finding mission that will investigate human rights violations during these protests. It will collect, preserve, and analyze evidence that could be used to hold the perpetrators of these crimes accountable. And I can tell you, many are hoping that this could be the beginning of the end of decades and decades of impunity in Iran, Casey. Jamana Karache.
Thank you for staying on top of this important story. Up next, drink up or maybe not. The new research that may change your mind on your water routine. The holiday season means more gatherings, more events indoors, close contact with others, and a higher chance of COVID, flu, and other nasty viruses hanging around in your space. Let's bring in CNN's Elizabeth Cohen. Elizabeth, how can we avoid getting sick? Casey, let's talk about what's out there so far this year. It's, it's kind of an unusual time. We've had this super early flu season. Already the CDC estimates that so far this season, which is only just a matter of weeks long, there have been 38,000 hospitalizations with flu in the United States and about 2,100 deaths. Now, COVID, I know we don't hear about it much anymore, and the numbers are way lower than they used to be, but still more than 300 deaths a day from COVID and 3,400 hospitalizations. So if you want to avoid all the germs that are out there, it's all the same stuff we've been hearing really for the, you know, ever since COVID began, which is if you want to wear a mask and if you want to practice social distancing, stay away from big crowds, especially when they're indoors. I think one of the most important things that we need to think about, Casey, is if you're young and healthy, that's one thing. Do you have friends and family who are immune compromised or who are elderly? What might you be able to do to help them stay healthier? Maybe you should be more careful around them, wear a mask or keep your distance. They're the vulnerable ones. And this, at this time of year, when we're indoors and in gatherings, we should really be thinking about them. Casey? Yes, of course. Um, all right. There's also this new study that I want to ask you about challenging this notion that I think we've all been taught forever that we need to drink eight glasses of water a day. What's what's the update? Right. It's so interesting. That's become such a part of sort of the lore. We don't know where this eight glasses a day came from. It didn't come from anything scientific, but it has taken on a life of its own. So let's take a look at what this study did. It's really quite fascinating. This is a large international study. They had 5,600 study participants and they gave them water to drink and the water had isotopes in it so that they could sort of follow it through and see how much of the water got used by the body and how much got excreted. What they found was it was a huge range people how much water the body used it ranged from four cups a day to 25 cups a day the amount depended first of all on physical activity more physical activity needed more water also on gender men seem to need more water than women do weight and also climate if you live in a hot and humid place so a really big range of what people need to the point where the cdc doesn't even give advice on how much water to drink every day now let's take a look at this really interesting chart that the cleveland clinic has they they have a chart that says if your urine is pale in color, you are good. If it's an amber or honey color, you're mildly dehydrated. More brown, that means that you're really dehydrated. So a lot of experts say, look at your urine. That's what's most important. Casey? All right. Elizabeth Cohen, thanks very much for that report. And coming thanks. up Sunday on State of the Union, Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff and Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson Join Democratic Senator Chris Murphy. That's Sunday morning at 9 o'clock Eastern and again at noon. Our coverage here continues right now in The Situation Room. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.